Welcome to Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras. This week we're going to take a short break from our series on the Dasa Mahavidyas to take a look at Hindu astrology, called Jyotish, and particularly the planet Saturn, and ask ourselves, is he friend or foe? This podcast is presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Well, Saturn is my favorite planet, which may be an odd thing to say, because he's usually considered to be the planet of misfortune, dullness, and all that's unattractive in life. But he is, more than any other, the planet that leads us to enlightenment, and when we come to terms with his effects in life, everything becomes much smoother and easier. Right now, Saturn is in the process of returning to full strength, having changed signs going from the sign of Cancer to the sign of Leo. Joining him in Leo these days, and for quite some time, is the Vedic planet called Ketu. In the astrological system called Jyotish, these are the planets that remove the veil of Maya or illusion to reveal the truth within. Not all at once, but layer by layer, bit by bit, all that is false and unnecessary is stripped away by these two planets. It is interesting to see how these factors express themselves in a macro sense with the current problems in the stock market and the subprime mortgage mess. Illusions are being stripped away to reveal that a lot of people took out mortgages that they couldn't afford under terms that were unrealistic and at a time when real estate values were at an all-time high. And so under the combined gaze of Saturn and Ketu, it all unwinds. In Sanskrit, Saturn is known as Shani, or Sanishcharaya. When most people learn about Saturn, either in Western or Eastern astrology, they quickly realize that this is a planet who can bring great misery to life, from which it can be very difficult to escape. But when Saturn blesses you, his blessings are permanent, and both spiritual and material. The great mystery of the universe is how the non-material spiritual reality called Brahman in the Vedic tradition, could become the material, hard, solid life that we live and experience every day. That concretization of the spiritual is the job of Saturn. And paradoxically, it is his job to make us feel sufficiently dissatisfied so that we ultimately turn away from the material to return to the spiritual. As we all have experienced, whether we have identified it as coming from Saturn or not, there are times in our lives when nothing works, and all our desires get thwarted, that is Saturn. There are many different ways to use Jyotish into astrology. For example, you can use a Jyotish chart to look at the nature of the individual psyche, or to anticipate a career change or to locate the root cause of health problems. The list is pretty much endless, and each specialty has its own rules and techniques. One thing that can be said for certain is that whenever events take place in an individual's life, they're always consistent with a person's chart. Using the birth chart, the dashas, which are planetary periods, and transits, the planet's position in the sky now, a competent Jyotishi can make accurate predictions about future trends for the individual. And the larger and more slowly moving planets have the strongest effect. That means that Saturn, Jupiter, Rahu, and Ketu are most influential in representing the trends that we experience in life. And it's important to notice that the Vedic tradition emphasizes that we're not controlled by the planet, 
They are merely markers which represent the karmas that we will experience in this life. In the Vedic tradition, all of us are fully responsible for everything we think, say, and do. Vedic tradition is built on the cornerstone of personal responsibility, tempered by divine grace. One of my favorite stories from the Vedic tradition is the churning of the ocean of milk. In the beginning, the gods weren't immortal, and inasmuch as they spent their time battling the demons, this was a bit of a problem. So they decided to churn the ocean of milk to extract the nectar of immortality, Amrita. But they were unable to do so all by themselves. They used Adishesha, the divine snake, as a rope, Meru, the divine mountain, as the churn, and the demons to pull the other end of the snake. And, of course, the gods, in their usual plan of trickery, falsely promised to share it. The churning proceeded, and there are a great many of smaller stories, but in the end, the Amrita was churned out, and somehow the demons ended up with it. This was not entirely the plan, and so Vishnu assumed the form of a beautiful woman called Mohini, and distracted the demons while the Amrita was stolen away by the gods. Soon all the thousands of gods were lined up to have a sip, and into the line slipped a Naga, a divine snake from the underworld. No one had noticed, but just as he was about to drink the nectar, the sun and moon, who had been watching from above, alerted Vishnu to what was about to happen, and in a flash Vishnu threw his Sudarshana chakra, it's like a discus, and it sliced the snake in two. But a drop of the nectar had reached the Naga's throat, and so he was already immortal. Well, the Naga wasn't too happy about this, didn't like being cut in half, and so he cursed the sun and the moon for telling on him. The head of the snake is called Rahu, and the tail is called Ketu. As planets, they figure prominently in Jyotish, and they are called Chaya Grahas. Chaya means shadow, and Graha is planet. Both Rahu and Ketu are considered to be planets in Jyotish, even if they don't have any physical existence. Rahu is an externalizing force and takes things to an extreme, which makes sense because he has no stomach to fill up. He can never be satisfied. Interestingly, virtually every Academy Award nominee has a very strong Rahu in combination with some other planet. K2 is even more interesting because it figures prominently in the world of engineering and high technology. Mythologically, K2 is the body of the snake without any head. So in a practical sense, K2 is very unpredictable. He's also the symbol for enlightenment. No head, no ego. And it's appropriate that the enlightened gurus and rishis are notoriously unpredictable. But mostly K2 is the removing of all that obscures the higher reality through deep, incisive insight. So the combination of K2 and Saturn will be in place until May of next year, and it will be interesting to see what happens. On an international and national scale, all kinds of deceptions are going to fall apart, and those who perpetrated them will have to bear the consequences, or at least be exposed, and it will certainly be an interesting time. The most important thing to remember about Saturn is that he acts with only one goal in mind, to bring you to the highest level of enlightenment possible. But we're all resistant to change, 
It's difficult to let go of the life that we have with our comforts and possessions. But until we can at least be willing to change, we cannot really progress. And so Saturn frustrates us by making the outer world less attractive so that we turn within. Jupiter and Venus give us things, and Saturn and Ketu take them away. Back and forth sounds just like that churning process. Back and forth to distill out the nectar of immortality. There are a great many great stories about Saturn, and one of the best resources for them is the book The Greatness of Saturn by Robert Svoboda. It's available at Amazon.com, and I think it's priced at only around $10. So there are a bunch of good stories about Saturn, and let's start with the story of his birth. Aditi, the wife of the sun, and she was getting a little tired of him because the sun was so hot and bright, and every time she tried to hug him, she got burned. So Aditi decided she wanted a little vacation. She wanted to go visit her father, who was the architect of the universe. But he wouldn't let her. So Aditi made a copy of herself, a perfect copy, called Chaya, which means shadow. And she left Chaya to take her place and went off to see her father. And, of course, the son, being male, never really discovered the difference until after he had had a son with Chaya. Now, all of the son's sons were bright and reflective of the greatness of the son. But this child, called Manda, was not as brilliant as the son or his other children, and in fact was rather dull and was lame. The son had a little conversation with Chaya, and Chaya finally fessed up and said that, well, no, she was merely a clone of his wife. And so the son went off and chased after Aditi, and finally caught her, and he agreed to let her father put him on his lathe, and he could be whittled down a bit to reduce his brilliance to a fraction of what it had been. The pieces of the sun that were whittled away by Aditi's father later became our sun, as we have it in our solar system now, Vishnu's weapon, the Sudarshana Chakra, and Shiva's trident. Interestingly, Saturn's brother, Yama, is the god of death, and astrologically Saturn can be a symbol of long life. When Saturn is in the eighth house of the span of life, it is said that you have to drag that individual into the grave. Now, Saturn can even torment Shiva. There is a astrological configuration called Sade Sati, which means the seven and a half, and it's the seven and a half years that Saturn passes through the sign before, the sign of, and the sign after the placement of the moon in a person's chart. And so if the moon is the mind and the emotions and Saturn is the shadow, you have a perfect image of a shadow coming across a person's mind and emotions. This process takes seven and a half years, and it's a maturing process. Interestingly, no one, not even Shiva, is exempt from this. And when Saturn went to Shiva to say, it's your turn, Shiva said, no, no, no. 
I am the Lord of the universe. You can't affect me. And so Saturn said, yes, indeed, I can. And Shiva realized that he was right and immediately dove and sat underneath the Ganga River in Varanasi for seven and a half years, meditating away. As he came out, he went to find Saturn and said, See, you couldn't affect me. I've been meditating. And Saturn said, Right, my point exactly. Hanuman was a little more clever in how he handled Shani or Saturn. When Saturn came to him and told him that he had seven and a half years of Saturn, as they say, sitting on his head, Hanuman thought for a moment and said, Well, why don't you meet me in the marketplace here on Saturday? That's your day. I will prepare a great puja for you, and you can come sit on my head, and we will start this off in the appropriate manner. Then Hanuman told all the villagers that he wanted to have a great puja on Saturday and so that they should bring coconuts to the marketplace and they could break them over Hanuman's head as a means of honoring Hanuman. Well, Saturday came around and Shani, unsuspectingly, got up on Hanuman's shoulders, ready to sit there for seven and a half years. And Hanuman went to the marketplace and sat down and one by one, the villagers came and cracked their coconuts. But instead of cracking them on Hanuman's head, they were cracked on the head of, she, of Shani, who very quickly got tired of this and decided to leave Hanuman alone. So mythologically, Hanuman is always the picture of selfless service. and is one of the best remedies when you're going through a Shani period, is to be of service to others. The blessings that others offer you will alleviate the discomfort caused by Saturn. And there are so many more stories. Saturn even tormented Krishna and caused him to be accused of stealing the Shamantika gem. He fogged the mind of Ravana, which caused Ravana to steal Sita from Rama. Saturn was responsible for Rama's exile to the forest for many years and he even tormented the Pandava brothers in the Mahabharata. It goes on and on, but as they say, those are stories for another podcast. And we're going to finish today with Ketu Gayatri Mantra and Kavacham. Kavacham means armor, and it's a mantra to, to please the planet, and to gave the, gain the planet's blessing to protect you from any harm and misfortune. And then we'll have Saturn Gayatri and Kavacham, and finally, just to make sure that this podcast won't be all doom and gloom, we'll enjoy a very, very pretty rendition of Mahalakshmi Jaganmataha. Sri Mahalakshmi as Jaganmataha, the Divine Mother of the World. And that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Chitravannaya Vidmahe Sarparupaya Jeevahe Tannakke Duhprachodayaade Asya Sri Ketu Kavaja Mahamandrasya Purandara Rishihi Anattop Chandaha Ketu Graha Devata Mama Ketu Graha Pradada Siddhyatche Jape Vini Yogaha Dhumravannam Dhajagaram 
ಚಿತ್ರಾಂಬರಧರಂ ಕೇತು ಚಿತ್ರಗಂಧಾರುಲೇಪನಂ ವೈಡೂರ್ಯಾಭರಣಂ ಚೈವ ವೈಡೂರ್ಯಮಕುಟೋಜ್ವಲ ಚಿತ್ರಂ ಕಪೋದಮಾರುಹ್ಯ ಮೇರುಂಬ್ಯಾಂತಮದಕ್ಷಿಣಂ ಕೇತು ಕರಾಲವನಂ ಚಿತ್ರವರ್ಣಂ ಕಿರೀಟಿನಂ ಪ್ರಣಮಿ ಚಿತ್ರವರ್ಣ ಶಿರಪ್ಪು ಫಾಲಮೇಧೂರ್ಣವರ್ಣಕ ಪಾದುನೇತ್ರೇ ಪಿಂಗಳಾಕ್ಷ ಶ್ರುತಿ ಮೇ ರಕ್ತಲೋಚನ ಘ್ರಾಣ ಪಾದು ಸುವರ್ಣಾಭಿಕಾಸುತ ಪಾದುಕಂಠೇತು ಸ್ಕಂದೋಪಾಧಿ ಬಾಹುಪಾತ್ಮಸುರಶ್ರೇಷ್ಠ ಕುಕ್ಷಿಂಪಾಧುಮಹಾಸುರೋಪಾಧುಮಹಾಸೀರ್ಷೋ ಭಕ್ತಿಯುಕ್ತ ಪಠೇ ನಿತ್ಯಮೇ ಶಂಬೀಜಂಶಕ್ತಿಮಕೀಲಕಂಶಿಂಗೀಮೀಲಮಾಲ್ಯಾಲಂಕೃತಾಲೋತ್ಪುಟಾಭಾಸ ನೀಲಮಾಲ್ಯಾಲುಲೇಪಂಚಾಂತರಧರಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣಾಂಗೋನಾಧಿಕಾಕ್ಷೇತ್ಕಂಠಂಭೇಶಿಕಂಠಕೋದರಸ್ತಾಧುಮೇಹೃದಯಂಕೃ
Lakshmi. <laughs> 